BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. And I'm Mahi Jariwala, and this is Youth Takeover Week on KQED. So this morning, I'm going to be taking a backseat to Mahi, who's a sophomore in high school from Danville, who already has her own podcast, She Can Ball. Mahi's going to lead us through a show she produced on women in sports journalism with some of the very best in the business. We'll be talking with ESPN's Mina Kimes, Warriors reporter Kareth Burke, Giants correspondent Amy Gutierrez, and MLB Network's Kiana Martin. That's all coming up next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mahi Jariwala, a sophomore at Monta Vista High School in Danville, and I'm your co-host this morning. And I'm Alexis Madrigal. This show is part of KQED's annual youth takeover, which has been happening all week. All across the station, our teams have been working side by side with aspiring journalists from the Bay Area. And each year, we keep taking things up a notch. This is the first time we've had a high school student co-host Forum, and I couldn't be happier to be sharing the mic here in the building with Mahi. Thanks, Alexis. So let's get into the show. Sports journalism has long been a male-dominated field. According to last year's racial and gender report card from the AP Sports Editors, less than 15% of sports reporters in the U.S. and Canada are women. I'm hoping to change that with my own aspirations in sports media. And on the show, we'll be interviewing some of the women journalists who have been making their mark in the industry. Before we welcome local journalist Kareth Burke in a little bit, last week I caught up with Mina Kimes. NFL analyst and podcast host for ESPN about navigating the male-dominated field of sports journalism. Here's our conversation. Welcome to Forum, Mina Kimes. Thank you so much for having me. So before you entered the world of sports journalism and became the Mina Kimes we all know today, you were an investigative journalist. What was that like and what sparked your interest in becoming a journalist in general? Yeah, so um, I started my journalism career after college uh, reporting on business. And that's what led me to investigative journalism. You know, I started writing about investing in Wall Street, actually during the financial crisis uh, after I graduated. And then I started getting assignments to basically look into companies that were doing bad things, which is pretty much what investigative investigative journalism is, at least in, in business. So I had the opportunity to do that for a few years at Fortune magazine and then I transitioned to Bloomberg where I did pieces for Bloomberg Business Week, Bloomberg Markets, etc. And um, you know it was incredibly fun, incredibly challenging 
uh, involves a lot of lawyers yelling at you on the phone, uh, a lot of cold calls, people not returning your emails, but it's very gratifying. Um, however, during that time, uh, I was a, I, my whole life really a rabid sports fan, especially football in particular. And around 2014, I wrote a personal essay about football, really, and how it brought me and my father closer together that some editors at ESPN saw. And they reached out to me and said, well, you, you're just kind of hardcore investigative journalist. Would you ever be interested in writing about sports? And Mahi, before that moment, it had never occurred to me, but uh, I decided to make the leap just you know, based on the, I guess, idea that anytime your passion be can become your job, uh, it's just a, too hard, too good of an opportunity to pass up. Where do you think your love from sports, you kind of talked about that um, with your dad, but where do you yeah. think your love for sports really came from? It's definitely always been a family thing for me. You know, I grew up in a military family, so we moved around a lot and spent a lot of time together. And amongst the many things we did on the road and living in various Air Force bases was watch sports, uh, Seattle sports, because my dad is from Seattle. I lived in a million places growing up. So Mariners, Sonics when I was a kid, Washington football. Um, I actually watched Nebraska football, or I was a fan of Nebraska football because I was born there uh, off of Air Force Base. And then uh, the Seattle Seahawks. And so it was kind of a I, and I think this is true for a lot of people. Sports was just something that always brought us together and allowed us to, allowed us to spend time together. I mean, at times, being a sports journalist is challenging in itself, but being an Asian American sports journalist presents its own set of challenges. How have you navigated the stereotypes about your race and gender? You know, um, I would say gender is pretty for at the forefront for me because... Um, I'm just, it, it's so unusual to do what I do as a woman. And, and I should clarify what I do at ESPN is I'm an NFL analyst. So typically in sports journalism, you know, there's been a lot of female reporters, uh, female hosts of shows who are incredibly talented, sideline reporters. But uh, the analyst role is usually occupied by former players, occasionally guys who didn't play. And, um, you know, I would say commentary beyond just being an analyst. So, I think just the sight of a, a female analyst sitting at the desk with former players um, is something that is shocking, I would say, to certain people, exciting to others, but, you know, it invites a lot of challenging um, interactions, especially on the internet, and you ask me how I navigate it. Uh, over time, I've really just learned to kind of filter it out and literally filter it out out using filters on social media so that I can just kind of focus on my job and, you know, working with my colleagues who help me, challenge me, respect me, and have made me a better analyst. I, I should out, you know, I it is unusual also for an Asian <laughs> to uh, be an NFL analyst. And so it's a little bit of a double whammy for me there. Um, but my Korean heritage is something I'm incredibly proud of. And uh, I really embrace the opportunity to show that pride on television. When do you think you started watching football with that analyst point of view or where do you think that came from? Because like you said, a lot of it is just former players or people that have played football that have a lot of football knowledge. So, you know, I grew up a fan like most people and, and, but I've always been someone who asks a lot of questions and kind of for me to enjoy something, I have to really understand it, which means I don't, it's pretty, uh, <laughs> it makes it harder to enjoy everything. But football in particular is such a, complicated sport i mean you could just spend your whole life studying it and learning and when i say studying it it's x's and o's it's strategy it's the salary cap roster construction 
um, trends in, you know, gameplay. So I would say after college, when I really started spending more of my, it just kind of blossomed from a hobby to like a obsession at times. Um, you know, I started spending a lot more time reading about it, studying it, because I just wanted to understand it more. I, I had no intention at the time of working in sports. Um, but, you know, if I watch something or I learn about something that's cool, I'll read every book about it. That's just kind of how my brain is wired. And so I began to approach football that way, I would say, you know, in my early 20s. And like, were there any role models that you loved, looked up to in journalism? I attribute a lot of my the opportunities that have come my way in my career to my friendship with uh, a football writer named Bill Barnwell, who I loved reading him. I think he's the best football writer in America. And once I started at ESPN, we started collaborating together on podcasts. And I just love the way he approached the game. You know, he's not a former player either, but he's so knowledgeable and spends so much time studying and doing research. And he's really inspired not just me becoming an analyst, but I would say the way I approach the game as well. And then you kind of started off as like a writer and then moved more towards like podcasting and, you know, being on television. How do you think that sort of adjustment was and how did you adapt to it? It was interesting. Um, you know, I like I, I really didn't see myself as a performer. I saw myself as someone like kind of behind the scenes in a way or reporting where you're um, sort of giving a platform to others or highlighting others or challenging others, you know. And once I started doing radio, um, it took me a while to be comfortable giving opinions, honestly, because um, it's just not something that everyone is conditioned to do. <laughs> I, and I'll, I'll say I think some of that for me is gender related, you know, um, feeling like if I get anything wrong, I'll immediately be attacked and the standards are higher and um, feeling the pressure of representation as well, honestly. But the, this is so banal sounding, but it really is just about reps. The more I did it, the more comfortable I got being myself, giving my opinions, also learning the craft of being on television, which is a very different skill from writing, delivering information, listening and talking at the same time. And, um, you know, it's definitely something I had to work at, but I'll say there is a real connective fiber between writing and being on television, which is ultimately you're doing the same thing, synthesizing information and communicating it effectively. The difference is it's not, you know, a 3000 word profile. It's a one minute soundbite, but the brain works the same way. We're talking with Mina Kimes, NFL analyst for ESPN and host of the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny podcast. I'm Mahi Jariwala, a student producer and your co-host today with Alexis Madrigal as part of KQED's Youth Takeover Week. And what are your hopes for female journalists in sports? And do you think that there, things are changing for the better when it comes to their opportunities? Well, I'd love to see more, more women in the roles that I've taken, you know, giving opinions, uh, being an analyst on television. Um, there aren't many right now, very few actually, but something I've noticed is there are more women than ever working in sports radio which is a real it was for me a real stepping stone towards giving opinions on tv and i think that's indicative of um something of a sea change that's really encouraging and what advice would you give to young women that are interested in sports journalism i think um you know obviously there's different paths in sports journalism journalism pardon me being a writer being an opinionator etc being a host but ultimately, the same skill set underlies all of it, which is studying, 
doing the work, doing as much work as possible, trying to understand concepts before you talk about them, reaching out to as many people as possible. Um, and I think that's true across gender, race, whatever, you know, that's something that is really fundamental to success in my field. But, you know, sometimes you don't even know how to do that. Like you don't even know how to, something women ask me a lot is like, okay, so like, what do you watch? You know, like when you're watching a game, like what are you looking for? And that's something you just kind of have to learn how to do over time uh, and especially learn from talking to other people. And this summer will be the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And although women's sports have advanced very much, there's still a lot of work to be done. What equality issues do you see lacking in women's sports and women's sports coverage? I would just say the volume of it, um, you know, something that comes up a lot, especially with the U.S. women's soccer lawsuit for equal pay, conversation about the WNBA and, you know, just how meager their salaries are. Well, people always say in response, well, they don't make as, they don't, you know, they're not as, they don't draw the ratings, right? Which is obviously true, but because of the reason why not just women's sports, but any uh, new sport, which is common, like all the time, esports, whatever, they don't draw ratings unless they're covered. And I think that's something that's really still, I, I know at ESPN, we put a lot of effort into it, but there's still a long way to go when it comes to providing coverage of these sports, because coverage gets people invested and interested in storylines and athletes and there's you know rivalries and beefs and all the things that kind of make sports fun beyond the actual game itself well thank you so much for coming on i appreciate your time thank you for having me i enjoyed it that was bay area high school sophomore mahi jarwala interviewing mina kimes nfl analyst and podcast host at espn mahi's my co-host today as part of kqed's annual youth takeover week next up Local sports journalist Kareth Burke joins us live, so stay tuned. I'm Alexis Madrigal. And I'm Mahi Jariwala. More Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I'm co-hosting today with Mahi Jarwala, a sophomore at Monta Vista High School as part of KQED's Youth Takeover. We're talking about women in sports media, and now we'd like to welcome our guest to the show. Kareth Burke is Golden State Warriors reporter with NBC Sports Bay Area and California. Thank you so much for joining us, Kareth. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. 
And Mahi and I would also love to hear from all of you. What are your thoughts on the visibility of women's sports journalists and coverage of women's sports? Do you have favorite memories of watching Kareth Burke or any other women journalists working on the sidelines? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're KQED Forum and the emails forum at kqed.org. So, Kareth, the Warriors just made the Western Conference semifinals. What has it been like reporting this playoff run so far? Ooh, Mahi, the playoffs are a step up. And I think you see it in the media room, too. There's there's double the amount of people because now there's a lot of national media. So there's just a, an energy in the air, like a more challenging, more fun kind of feel. And I feel like during the playoffs, I have to raise my game, too. Um, we know we have a lot of eyes on our shows right now, Warriors pregame, Warriors postgame. Um, and then the, the post-postgame show I do, Dubs Talk Live. And what I say what I mean, there's a lot more energy, is you can sense the fans wanting to know more about this team. Um, and Warriors fans are very, they know their basketball. And they also want personality stories. So it's just explaining the emotions of what's happening. It's explaining, um, I think Mina talked about any little beefs that are happening between each team. <laughs> and it's just synthesizing all of this so fans can digest it in a really fun way. And Kareth, you've gotten to cover three NBA championship wins with the Warriors. But when they won in 2017, that was your first year on the job. What was it like reporting a championship that year? That was my rookie season, you're right. And I remember trying to soak in everything about the job. It wasn't just um, the Warriors themselves. It was, what is the travel demands for this job like? What's the Wi-Fi in each building? Where's the ladies room when I'm on the road? Those kind of things. So I have to say it was very overwhelming. And then it was an extremely long season. Um, I was covering, I was coming from covering college championships and a college team and now suddenly it's an 82 game season plus playoffs very long but overall it was an extraordinary experience kind of that moment where I, I realized I am inside a hurricane and it's calm right now I'm kind of in the eye but as this hurricane moves on only then with the, the benefit of hindsight will I really be able to reflect on being a part of that experience and what I went through and to some degree, I still don't have the words. Um, the, <laughs> the Warriors have some of the greatest players in NBA history. And I'm certain, I hope, my kids will ask me about what it was like covering a Warriors championship. And what was it like sort of building up to that, that playoff run during the normal season, just covering it normally? Uh, people had to get used to who I was and, and my style of reporting. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to bond with my broadcasting team. I'm trying to let the, the fans figure out who I am. But then most importantly, the players. Um, I speak to the players back then when I was in the sideline role during very emotional moments. They're walking over to me 30 seconds after a win. And I'm trying to read their body language because as I discovered sometimes after a win they weren't entirely pleased with how they won they had such a high standard for themselves that maybe they were upset with the turnovers or maybe they were upset with the defensive play at the end so during a win you know I'm looking at Draymond's body language and he's walking over to me with a grumpy face for example I'm like okay Draymond what is that about um, so it's just that the emotional energy and then letting the players figure out the types of questions I would ask them so they could give the best answer. 
lot of it comes down to relationships. And how do you formulate those post-game questions? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> Um, it is, it's honestly, I feel kind of silly, but it's like, it's a vibes check. Actually, I've just got to read the vibes. Um, but you know what? I do have a strategy here. I, I don't get a lot of time to ask questions. I tend to have three or four. And the first question I always try to ask is a team question, because even if I'm talking to say Steph Curry, who had 50 points in a game, if I ask Steph to talk about himself first, sometimes players bristle at that. They don't want to talk about themselves. Often it's easier to talk about another player who had a big game or the team itself. So the team question is sort of the warm-up question for me. And then I can ask the player, well, you played a big role in this. How did you get open for that game-winning three? And then I like to ask my third question is sort of a, a button-it-up question, a trend for the team. You know, wow, you've won 10 straight. What's been the most important factor in this streak? Or you know, the three-point shooting has been on for the team lately, what changed? So I do have a little bit of a strategy. And then sometimes a player will give me an answer that I didn't expect, and I have to listen and just follow where they take me. So a lot of it can be in the moment spontaneity. I think I have a roadmap, but I've got to drive where the players take me. I got to catch up with Amy Gutierrez yesterday, producer, reporter, and host covering the San Francisco Giants and a national correspondent for MLB Network. I asked her about her championship experiences reporting for the Giants during their three World Series titles and whether there was a particularly memorable one for her. Here's what she told me. Well, they're all pretty special in their own right because each year that they won had a different storyline. But... 2010 is really important to me because it was a turn of events in my career and how the fan base accepted me. It was kind of hit, hit, hit or miss from 2008 through 2000, through the 2009 season. I wasn't sure the end game reporter position was for me. I wasn't well received by the fan base and being something new added to a broadcast that was headlined by Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper. And do you really need a third wheel in, in this scenario? Probably not as both of them are going to be future hall of famers, but through their support and support of my coworkers and my family, I stuck with it. And I'm so glad I did because really once they won in 2010, it seemed to solidify my role selfishly, you know, in my career where yeah. I'm here, I'm not, I'm not going. So you're going to need to accept what I'm reporting on in these games. And, and there seemed to be a real change in, in how fans viewed my role and how they received me. Kareth, what do you think of hearing Amy G recounting not getting the warmest welcome when she first got on? And what are some of the obstacles you've had to face in your media career? I can identify with that a little bit just because fans fall in love with the people who cover the team because they love the team. And I got to follow in Raz's footsteps. I'm just going to refer to her by her first name. Everybody remembers Raz, loves Raz. Oh, yeah. Raz is and then, fantastic. Right? She, she is fantastic. And then here comes me and I'm not from the Bay area. I just moved here and, and they're like, who is this person? Because Roz and I are, are different. So there was, you know, a, a, I'd say it probably took two seasons for fans to warm up to me, but I can't do 
anything about it if people like me or not. I just have to do my job. And once they see how I do the job, I think that, you know, they, they came around to me. I, I'm really happy for the way that, that fans want to test out people a little bit. Is she in the know? What is she like? Does she have a personality? Um, and then they'll embrace you when they see that you do well. Yeah. Alexis Madrigal here. It's so great to have you on, Kareth Burke. You know, it's Thank fascinating you. to hear your interview process and having watched a million of your interviews, I can totally see that roadmap now thinking back. You're obviously great at that. And I was wondering what inspired you to pursue broadcasting as a career in in this way? I have known since fourth grade, I wanted to be a reporter. I had an excellent teacher. Doesn't this always go back to teachers who was teaching the class about democracy and we were going to vote for president. And she happened to invite a local TV crew Uh, to record, you know, what we were doing. And I was little Miss Teacher's pet. So when the reporter needed a student to interview, Mrs. Bryant, my teacher, pointed over at me, and I thought I gave the interview of a lifetime. (laughs) And I got to go home and tell my parents I was going to be on TV. And at 10 years old in fourth grade, that's what I thought being a reporter was. Oh, you get to be on TV. And you do, as as it happens, uh, the path that I chose. But then I started to discover the duty that reporters have to inform. There's also a little bit of entertainment when you do sports. Um, And that sort of walked me on this path since fourth grade where I was very interested in news, read the newspaper every day because that's what my family did. Um, I became the editor of my high school paper. And then that sort of was the slingshot that sent me to college, um, Washington State University, where I knew they had a very good journalism program. I dabbled, I kept dabbling in print I enjoyed doing radio actually. Um, And then I got involved with the the college station cable eight doing as many shows as possible, just getting in front of the camera as soon as my freshman year of college. How did I end up in television? It was the first place that offered me a job. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) journalists can't really be, can't really pick and choose. You just gotta take it. (laughs) The first place that would pay me, I was thrilled. Kareth, how do you handle your nerves and making mistakes on the job? I'm glad you asked me that because I've been doing this for more than a decade and I want to admit that I still get nervous. I get the butterfly feeling in my stomach. Thankfully, the way I get nervous isn't anything you can see on camera. It's, it's my palms are sweaty and it's in my stomach. And I think I'm just riding the energy of the moment and knowing I want to do a good job. So I'm glad it doesn't show. But I'm glad I have it, too, because that indicates to me that I care. I still care about this, and I still love this. And Mahi, there's a second part of your, your question. What was it? Oh, just making mistakes on the job. Oh, man. Um, when I first started in my career, I didn't know the lesson that mistakes will happen. I thought I had to be perfect in every moment, and that is an impossible standard. So I learned when that was happening, it would feel like one little mistake would start to snowball. Mm -hmm. And then it just, I got tongue tied and red faced and it was awful. So I learned how to laugh at myself, basically. Mistakes are going to happen. They happen all the time. And they're small usually. I might stumble over a word or say the wrong team name, all accidental stuff, just all in the moment stuff. But when I catch myself, I smile just a little bit to let the viewer know, "Uh uh-huh, I heard it too but I just continue. I correct myself quickly and I just move on. In my conversation yesterday with Amy Gutierrez, I also asked her about what makes Bay Area fans so special. And this is what she had to say. I think the passion 
that the fans have is really special. And, you know, we've every sports team in the Bay area has had their cycle. They've been great and they've been horrible and great again and mediocre, but the fan base is there. And so in a position like I've had really being able to engage with the fan base in every team that I've covered, that's what's set them up set the Bay area apart for me is the love that the fan base has for their teams and really that the teams have for their fans. It's, you know, it's, it's a mutual respect and love for sure. And, and you don't have successful teams and you don't have successful players without the support of a fantastic and very loyal fan base. These are not cheap outings for people. Some people save up money all year long to go to a Raiders well, used to be Raiders game. That makes me sad. Um, they have to save up a little bit more now to go to the Raiders game down in Vegas. But for yeah. years, they were here in Oakland to go to a Niners game, to go to a Giants game. I mean, these are, you know, these are endeavors. These are experiences. And I think that what I enjoy about the Bay Area teams is they seem to recognize that and, and acknowledge that and offer a lot of bang for somebody's buck. And that's important to the fan base. What do you think, Kareth? I like that she used the word loyalty. And I was thinking about the richness of the Bay Area for sports because you have, well, had two football teams here. You've got two baseball teams here. You have an excellent team in the Warriors. Um, You can even add soccer there. There's college sports. There's a rich high school environment here. So it's sort of, you know, pick your passion. Whatever you want to see, you can see. And also among that loyalty, especially for Warriors fans, they love to say, I was there back in the day in Oakland. I was there during the lean years. We could buy a ticket for the top row and just walk down at the end because nobody was there. So there's sort of a, I was part of the hardship years too. And then a point of pride in saying, and look, I was part of carrying them into their championships. It's part of lore, I think, maybe the folklore of living in the Bay Area and also family history passing down your fandoms to your kids. You know, Kareth, I was there in Oakland. (laughs) But I did did want to ask you, I mean, the the Warriors made this transition out of Oracle. I mean, one of the most, one of the great, great arenas in basketball to a new, shiny, wonderful facility, but in San Francisco. And there were a lot of Bay Area fans, myself included, who were torn about them leaving Oakland. How do you think the transition has gone? I think the Warriors did the best that they could. And I do understand why some fans feel sour about it. Now, we just talked about the Raiders leaving the states altogether for Las Vegas. The Warriors just moved eight miles across a bridge. And that bridge is pretty symbolic. It's that side and this side. But I think the Warriors are doing the best that they can to keep a footprint in the Bay Area to make these games accessible with um, the Thrive City area where you can watch from the outside or make sure they have student groups, charity groups, uh, make sure people can still get inside this building as they do cater to a different fan base that maybe sits uh, baseline for these games, sideline for these games, but they're trying. And I'm discovering that with Chase Center, it is forming its own identity. Lots of people ask, what's it like compared to to the old Oracle for playoffs. 
I'm telling you, it's roaring the same. It's loud. I bought some earplugs to wear during the games. That's how loud it <laughs> That's is. That's a good milestone. That's a good milestone. It, yeah, it really is. I need to hear myself think. And, and Chase, Chase Center is showing up for playoffs. Yeah. Let's bring in a call real quick. Richard in Sebastopol. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, since we asked about other people, women in sports broadcasting, I just wanted to give a shout out to Doris Burke, who's the ESPN basketball analyst on television. And she's head and shoulders above the men who frequently spend their time at the game squabbling and insulting each other and don't tell you what's happening. And every moment something happened, Doris stops and says, here's what just happened, or here's what didn't happen. And she helps me understand the game. She's really outstanding. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for that comment, Richard. I just, Kareth, no relation, Kareth Burke. And no, Doris. no relation. Yes. Um, but Richard is right. You know, Doris Burke sits in the analyst role, so she can really break that down for people. And you don't often see a woman in the analyst role, especially covering the NBA. So she really is one of the sports pioneers there. Um, that goes back to her playing days at Providence. That goes back to her understanding of the game and her preparation. Um, I, I've talked to Doris a few times. I, I admire her. Yes, not my mom, but we've we've met a few times, and it's so delightful that she always has time to talk to young people. Um, and I think she, so I, I don't mean to speak for her here, but I think she understands the weight of being one of the women on some very important broadcasts, um, and she wants to do a good job. Yeah. Richard, thanks again for that uh, perspective. We're talking about women in sports media with Kareth Burke, Golden State Warriors reporter for NBC Sports Bay Area and California. And I'm joined by my co-host for the day and producer of this segment, Mahi Jarwala, sophomore at Monta Vista High School and creator and host of the She Can Ball podcast. She's joining me as part of KQED's annual You Takeover Week, which we're closing out today. What are your thoughts on visibility of women sports journalists and coverage of women's sports? And do you have favorite memories of watching Kareth Burke or Amy G? You can give us a call. Number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum. Or, of course, you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. And I'm Mahi Jerriwala. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. 
I'm Mahi Jariwala, sophomore at Monta Vista High School, and your co-host today with Alexis Madrigal as part of KQED's Youth Takeover Week. This hour, we've been talking about women sports journalists in sports media with Kareth Burke, Golden State Warriors reporter for NBC Bay Area, and now joining us is Kiana Martin, host at MLB Network and former senior reporter for the San Francisco 49ers. Welcome to Forum, Kiana. Thank you so much for welcoming me. I'm so excited to be here. And that's a pretty powerhouse lineup that you got. Thank you. Well, congratulations on the new job with the MLB Network. How's that sort of transition been from switching from football to baseball coverage? It's a big transition. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's the perfect word. Um, you know, I'm so focused on the 49ers in football for the last five years. And I feel like now I know that team. I know the personnel um, like the back of my hand. And then literally within a week's time, I'm completely switching worlds. And you've covered basketball with the Denver Nuggets, football, of course, and now baseball. Has that been a goal to always develop an all-around expertise? I feel like that was a goal of mine. And especially when I kind of think about what do I, what do I see myself as? What do I ultimately want to do? And I want to be able to be, you know, a master at being able to speak every sport. Um, you know, there's people that that enjoy learning different languages and being able to speak that. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing for me when it comes to sports. And how did you adjust to reporting different sports? I mean, like you said, you know, a lot of it comes to location change, you know, a lot of lingo changes with different sports as well. So I always say it kind of goes back to what I had to do in school. You know, you think like, oh, I'm never going to, use this. I'm never going to do this again. I use those same study tactics that I did in school. I have to use those pretty much every day. I have notebooks. I have binders. I have folders. I'm studying names. I'm studying numbers. I'm studying stats. And I didn't just start doing that here with MLB. I've done that when I was with the 49ers game days, game day prep. I need to know the opposing team. I need to know, you know, some of their numbers. How do they perform? How's their special teams unit performing? You know, knowing those little tidbits prepare you for what you're about to talk about, what's what you're speaking of. And um, I'm doing that now. So it's just always a study. It's always something new. Um, and that's just what kind of gets me prepared day in and day out. And a lot of listeners may know you from your time covering the 49ers and, you know, you had a very positive send off from the organization. What is a favorite memory of your time with the team? Probably one of my favorite moments. I have two. My first moment would probably be um, going or winning the NFC championship game that sent us to Super Bowl 54. Uh, just that moment just felt so surreal. I feel, I remember I was after that game, you know, I, I'm writing for the site and I'm, you know, filming things. And once I finally got home, maybe about three and a half, four hours after the game, I'm just wide awake in bed at like 5 a.m. And I just can't sleep because I'm just smiling, just kind of going through my mind, replaying that game, replaying, seeing the guys on the sidelines, kind of rejoicing as that clock hit zero and running onto the field and then taking in like, oh, my goodness, we're actually going to the Super Bowl. It was a very surreal moment and uh, one that I will never, ever forget. And I'll say the second moment that really, really stood out to me was just the reception I had from a lot of 49ers fans when I left. Um, it was so positive. And you said I had a positive send-off. And it just wasn't from internal with the team, but it was just also 
um, the fans and, and how they made me feel, you know, I, I can't even put into words how much that meant to me. So that would by far, I think, be my favorite moment from my time with the 49ers. That's amazing. And what are your hopes for female journalists in sports? I want to see more. I think that's what we all feel. Um, I speak with a a lot of my colleagues um, just around, not even just the sport, but just in general. Um, I know a couple of us had a get together uh, back during the Super Bowl and someone said, you know, this is so, this wasn't common years ago to see this many female reporters, journalists, hosts, analysts, all in one building, all uplifting each other, all just rooting for one another and all kind of having our own space. It's not a competition. Everyone has their hand out and they're trying to pull up the next person. And I love that. And that's what I want to continue to see. There's still some people that, you know, and it's unfortunate that say, you know, oh, why is a female covering this? And I don't think it should have to do with your gender. It should have to do with, hey, this person knows their stuff. This person, you know, you can tell this person enjoys covering this game. I like when this person, you know, is covering. I I like when they're writing. I like when they're hosting. That's what it should be. And until that's a normal thing and people stop thinking that it has to do with a male or a female is the person that's covering it or in any capacity, then we still have some work to do. So I want to continue to see women in this industry. I want to continue to see not just journalists, reporters, writers, hosts. I want to see more coaches. I want to see more staff. I want to see more in the front office. I want to see this in every capacity. So that's my hope for women in sports. Very, very well said. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kiana. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That was Kiana Martin, host at MLB Network and a former senior team reporter with the San Francisco 49ers. Kareth Burke, Golden State Warriors reporter with NBC Sports Bay Area and California, is with us live. And of course, you can join the conversation. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Talk about women in sports media. Again, the number is 866-733-6786. And let's go to Kevin in Berkeley. Hi there. Um, Yeah, I just went to a Warriors game. It was great to see. I come from Connecticut originally, and the most coveted, you know, ticket in the state was UConn's ladies basketball. And I'm just kind of curious to know what can uh, what can cities and towns do to bring more. Yeah, I was just going to say I would love to see women's professional basketball so I can take my wife and daughter to games and uh, what can cities and towns do to, you know, keep this going because it seems like there is an audience there. Thanks so much for that, Kevin. And I think my doesn't Kareth have some history with UConn basketball too, right? Yes, she did used to report for both the men's and women's basketball team there. I smiled so big when he talked about Connecticut. Um, That was my first time being a sideline reporter for any basketball. Um, When I worked at SNY in New York City, they had the broadcasting rights to UConn women's basketball, which is just a powerhouse. (laughs) Um, I got to cover four consecutive championships. And you know what? At the time in my career, I thought nothing would surpass that. And then luckily I got to cover the Warriors. Crazy talk. 
Um, but I think he was asking about some potential expansion in the WNBA, how fun that would be. I think this market is ripe for it. And I wish I had some you know, insider news as far as that's coming. I know that the Warriors ownership is open to it, but I, I'm not sure what process they're in um, or what the WNBA is thinking for expansion. Because remember, Sacramento used to have a team, used to be the Houston Comets, there used to be the Charlotte Sting. So there are many cities that want to say, wait, 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 look at us. Can we have one too? And hopefully, gosh, I hope it happens because you see the way that the ratings are increasing. You see the way that women's basketball is getting more coverage. Just let it, let it keep going because I feel like there's a tidal wave coming. Kiana Martin talked about her aspirations for this field. And I want to pose that question to you as well, Kareth. What are your hopes for women in sports journalism? I'm going to echo what she said and just say more, more, because sports belong to everyone. Um, women have long been sidelined, so to speak. Um, or, you know, that we deal with that. Well, you didn't play. You can't talk about this game. So, mm, no, I think I can, because sports is for everybody. And you can be a student of the game. Plenty of the people who like to talk about sports on, say, Sports Talk Radio were never quarterbacks themselves, yet nobody ever disses their opinion. Um, and also, I, I think women, having more women is reflective of, of who sports fans are. We talk about the lack of diversity here. It can't just be white women in the room. It has to be all women in the room, which reflects the community that you come from. Again, the Bay Area is such a, a rich place. We'd love to see the same kind of faces on television that match the same faces of the viewers and the listeners. So I wanted to uh, ask uh, my, I know you, Kareth, you've been on Mahi's podcast, She Can Ball. And I, I wanted to ask you, Mahi, how you got started doing that podcast? Well, I really wanted to share the stories of people in our women's basketball industry. I think from a young age, I listened to Steph Curry's story, and I was really inspired. And so I knew the power of storytelling from a young age, and I knew the impacts of it. And so I just wanted to do that for our women's basketball community and help inspire young girls that are looking to pursue sports or anything in the athletic industry at a high level. Yeah. Kareth, I also just wanted to give you a shout out because you have made yourself so accessible here in both being on the show with us here, but you also went on Mahi's podcast too, right? I did. I was impressed. You know what? The first step is just asking somebody. And I was impressed by Mahi's fearlessness. You know, I looked up her Instagram to see who she had interviewed before. I was like, wow, she's got something really special here. I like the gumption to just go for it. So <laughs> good job, Mahi, being a creator here. And then every time I speak to Mahi, I'm impressed by her research um, she knows things about, knows the things that inform the types of questions. You know, she asked, what was that like for you based on the experiences that you've had? And I just find her thoughtful. So thank you, Mahi. Mahi, also, you know, what do you see as the relationship between playing sports and doing sports media for you? I think they're very similar. And I think we talk about that um, in, in the aspects of in-game reporting where you literally go and you're almost playing the game. I mean, you have to watch and report it as you go. But I think I've learned so much just about the world of athletics. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned from the podcast is the amount of ways that you can stay involved with sports without not necessarily playing it. I think a lot of athletes are sort of built into this athletic mindset and like, oh, I want to play pro. But you can stay involved with sports through through journalism. There's there's research opportunities there. It's endless. It's definitely endless. Yeah. So I want to ask you both uh, the same question here, which is, 
Who's been kind of your most difficult interviewer, or for you, Kareth, on an ongoing basis? Who's the most sort of difficult warrior to interview? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I hope you don't think I'm just sort of waving this question away, but thankfully, none of the warriors players <laughs> are, are duds. Really, like none of them. They all have thoughtful things to say. Now, some of the personalities are quieter, but that doesn't mean Wiggins, for example, is a bad interview. He's just a really chill guy. Um, they all have something to say. And, you know, GP2, I'm just thinking about his story. He was the 15th guy to be signed to the team. And usually you don't, you know, usually you want the interviews with the stars. But when you talk to the folks that are, you know, farther down the bench, their stories, especially his of survival, you know, he's had so many lives in the NBA. He played in the G League for a while. He was signing 10-day contracts. And we just saw Gary Payton II be an absolute X factor in the win that advanced the Warriors in the series. So you can't really think in terms of stars, actually. I want the star interviews. It's the folks who have really scrapped and kind of don't get all the attention that are some of the best interviews, too. And then you've got Draymond, who thinks of himself <laughs> as the guy who scrapped, but is also a star. You uh, know what? We, we've got, so Steve Kerr, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, anytime those three guys speak, they can make national news. Okay, it's outside of sports as well. Yeah. And then anytime I talk to Clay Thompson, I've got no idea what he's going to say. <laughs> um, so really fun moments covering the Warriors. Okay, Mahi, how about you? Who's been sort of one of your most inter interesting interviews aside from Kareth herself? Yeah, so I got to talk to Imani Migi Stafford, who plays for um, the Dallas Wings. And so she actually took a break from her basketball career to become a lawyer and advocate for Black Lives Matter and these move movements that she was passionate about. And it was so amazing to hear someone who, and she talked to the Dallas Wings organization and they gave her time. They said, go do what you want to do. And it was just amazing to see people that want to pursue things that are just important to the world and see basketball organizations supporting that. Want to run through some of the comments we've gotten from listeners, which are great and slightly in embarrassing in a good way. Guest host Mahi Jarawala is a natural, wonderful experience listening to her this week. Gives me heaps of hope for the future, so say we all. Uh, Shaylin tweets, what a great convo on women in sports journalism. Young folks are raising the bar for us all. Pedmini writes, loving the episode today, wanted to give a shout out to Ann Killian with The Chronicle for her years of stellar coverage of multiple Bay Area teams. I learned so much from her and have always appreciated her keen insights and expertise. And now we've got a question uh, for the two of you. Pierrette writes, how do your guests feel about recent male versus female coverage of famous women athletes bowing out of competition in order to take better care of themselves? Kareth, let's go to you first. Well, I wonder if there's... Yeah, something loaded in there about who deserves to have rest or who needs it more. And I need to parse out what I'm thinking and I'm not doing that very well. Um, I would say overall, the way that we cover health, every day reporters ask Steve Kerr, how is Steph's foot? How is Draymond's back? How is Andre's neck? And I think the same degree that we talk about the, the physical body, the things that we can see, the things that get the ice packs and the, the wraps at the ends of games, we need to have the same care with how we talk about mental issues because those are just as real. We just can't see them, unfortunately. So I like this movement. I like athletes who are brave enough to talk about the mental health challenges that they're going through. And I hope when they share those things, 
they're, they have the same respect and seriousness as the physical things that we can see. You know, Mahi, I feel like a lot of young people are much more attuned to the importance of mental health. How have you, like when you see someone come out of a tennis tournament, just say, no, you know what, I don't, I don't have what I need in order to compete in this way. What is, what is, how's that received among uh, young women that you know? I think um, specifically for young athletes, I think we, we understand that, right? And we know um, the mental, the, the mental capacity of just having to play sports and how hard that can be on your mental health. And so I definitely think that athletes have a different perspective on it. But I think young people now are truly understanding um, how hard dealing with mental health issues can be. And I think a lot of that is just education. You know, you see that through social media, through news articles. I mean, people are talking about this and we're bringing this out of four as a for at the forefront um, for youth. And so I think that's been amazing. And I think that's honestly why youth are able to understand these issues because we've been talking about them. Yeah. You know, Kareth Burke, last question for you. For young women who want to get into sports journalism, like Mahi Jarwala, who's been here and been so amazing, um, what's a step they could take um, to, just to, to get their feet wet? I like to tell students that no experience will ever hurt you. The more well-rounded you are in telling a story or understand how to tap into emotion, the questions that you have to ask somebody when you get the privilege of conveying some of their life experiences. Um, I like that I have some newspaper writing in my background, some radio in my background, even though it's not the thing that I do every day, it taught me how to tell a story from start to finish. So I hope that makes me a more trustworthy person when people determine whether they want to talk to me or not. Yeah. And it's also a way that you can just follow your passion. You don't have to do just one thing. I'd love to start a podcast. I might ask <laughs> not just as a hobby. I want to follow my loves and then maybe, because no stream is ever straight, right? You kind of take twists and turns in your life and your career. No experience will ever hurt you. Yeah. We've been talking about women in sports media with Kareth Burke, Golden State Warriors reporter. Thank you so much for joining us, Kareth. Alexis, Mahi, thank you very much. Yeah. I've been joined by my co-host for the day and producer of this segment, Mahi Jarwala, a sophomore at Monta Vista High School, creator and host of the She Can Ball podcast. It has been an awesome youth takeover week here at KQED. On Forum, these shows have been produced by Ariana Prail, who has given some heart and soul. Thank you so much, Ariana. Thank yes. you, Mahi. Thank you, Ariana. <laughs> Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.